You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 5, members discuss behavior with Alexis Hennessy. Hello, and thank you for joining us this week. Um, This week, I am joined by Colin Price, um, English language arts teacher at, is it Summit High School, Colin? Yes, Summit High School. Awesome. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us this week. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, Well, first, I I have to apologize. Uh, With the first snowfall hitting, I I think I've uh, gotten a seasonal, a little bit of a seasonal cold going here. So uh, first snowfall, that's exciting. I mean, I'm an East Coaster, so I love I love a fresh, fresh snowfall. So yeah, uh, so I'm in lucky number 13 uh, years as a teacher here. Um, Been teaching language arts uh, and writing primarily uh, for most most of my tenure. did uh, started my career out in Sisters. Uh, I've taught uh, overseas at an international and American school in the Middle East. Um, took a little bit of a, a break from teaching to do some other kind of youth adjacent work. Uh, uh, program director at a therapeutic boarding school for boys for a little bit, and uh, program director for an AmeriCorps program as well. Uh, oh, awesome! Coming back to the classroom at Summit High School. Love it. That's that's quite the varied um, experiential background you've got there. And um, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more today about kind of behavior and social emotional learning in your classroom space. It's, you know, I work in the realm of behavior, so this is my everyday, but um, it's always nice to chat with my gen ed counterparts who also work in behavior every day, but in a, in a slightly different realm. So I think I'll just start by saying kind of how does behavior show up in, in your classroom, your, your English language arts high school classroom? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've worked primarily with uh, college bound seniors and I, I work at a, you know, a large relatively affluent socioeconomic demographic. Um, for the most part, you know, I, I've got really polite, really nice kids. They, you know, at the end of the day, as they're walking out, they'll say thank you, which yeah. caught me off guard when I, we first started. Uh, so generally, like what I've, I've noticed more is, is that their their emotional needs tend to show up more as anxiety. Um they have very high-performing parents, and you know, huge expectations that have been heaped on them. And and so, as we've kind of become more aware of this, I think surging wave of mental health concerns that are coming at us in education uh, with young adults and teenagers. Um, most of the time, I, I see that manifest as as anxiety and depression. Mm. I think that's such an important. Um, perspective that you bring up, right? Which is that I think often we get stuck in this track of thinking as um, behavior as disruption, right? That we we go up automatically to like behavior disruption, out of control, really unsafe, right? Which is true. Absolutely, behavior can show up in those ways. Um, but behavior can also show up as shutting down, withdrawing, kind of uh, changing our patterns, presenting differently in the class. And so what I'm hearing you say is that what you're really on the lookout for with your kids is some of those almost withdrawal behaviors or the behaviors that are like a change in their affect or presentation 
for what are typically pretty, you know, um, even keel performers, I guess I would say. Kids that generally are showing up pretty willingly, pretty readily, engaging at a pretty high level, that those shifts in behavior are what you're looking for, shifts in presentation? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think you're right that, that we can lean a little heavy toward the the fight part of the, mm. the response and, and sometimes the because they're quiet and maybe not taking up as much space in the classroom that those freeze collapsed or or even the avoidance, the flight responses can sometimes slip under the radar. I think that's really difficult too because the, it is so easy to to view those kids maybe as cooperative or quiet or oh they're just such a good student because they just kind of sit in the corner but not really noticing that that's actually a little bit of a call for for help. Compliant for sure. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if engaged, right? And, that, that, and um, yeah, if they're not causing disruptions or, or causing harm. Um, and and I, I'm certainly grateful that we're moving away from a place where things like masks were necessary. I felt like there's one more literal physical layer that uh, a lot of students could kind of hide behind. Um, it was it was equivocal to you know having the hoodie pulled up. Right? Yeah, everybody's got it on, and you know, they they had something that they could they could kind of mask the affect, and it's a bit more difficult to check in with them. For sure, particularly those withdrawn students are the ones that are a little quieter in their presentation. Facial expression really does um, communicate quite a bit, right? We can we can see the the eye gaze change. Um, so tell me, you must serve a, a number of students, right? If I'm imagining a pretty typical um, high school schedule, I'm imagining you have somewhere between five and seven periods a day, unless you're maybe on a block schedule. That's that's a lot of students that are coming through your doors every day. Um, how do you? How do you prepare to kind of gauge each of those students as they enter your space? In what ways are you able to kind of make those meaningful connections with that number of students to be able to gauge the the changes in presentation and the affect that you were talking about? Well, I think I, I, th- I think this is where writing is is such a powerful tool in my toolbox. Um, I, I know I have to be careful as an introvert and and you know my own self care that like. If, if I'm um, trying to adopt a, a persona that's really like over the top in the classroom or like, you know, having hundreds of these social interactions every day, that's, it's going to be difficult for me. Um, but instead, this, this tool that, that I have access to that, um, you know, when we do structured narrative writing and I get a chance for, for kids to give me little glimpses into their their thought process and their personal life. Um, it's, it's, and we can, you know, start a conversation through our learning system where they're turning work in and like, I can post a comment and, you know, it gives me a little bit more of that space. And I think gives them a space too, where they can, um, be a little bit more, more free to speak in, in a way that maybe they don't feel in the classroom. That's such an interesting perspective to take on that. Um, you know, a- as someone who works primarily with students who tend to find writing to be rather difficult, often that's one of the things they tend to avoid. But in my own personal experience as a parent, I, I have a-, a daughter who uses writing to communicate with me some of these things that are making her- She's a middle schooler, so let's just go with that, right? right. <laughs> middle school is a tough place to be. Um, but she does engage. I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm recognizing that that's a lot of how she engages too. She'll write a, a little mini narrative and then bring it to me and ask me to read it and say, Mom, 
trauma. I wrote this last night when, um, and I'm, I'm kind of hearing similar through lines that you can use prompts um, for students to respond to that, that kind of allow them to open those doors to sharing, even maybe by removing themselves as the main character. So do you have students that will kind of write a story about a character or, you know, whatever the, the genre of writing is that you're, you're putting forth? Do you, do you find that sometimes you're able to initiate a conversation via those those texts they're producing? Or what does that look like with your students when, when you receive a piece of writing that maybe has some of these themes in it? Oh, most definitely. Um, I've gotten some really, really powerful pieces, you know, particularly from um, young women uh, who are writing about the, the experiences that they've had to deal with, with, um, you know, the pressure to fit in and, um, whether it transforms into anxiety or eating disorders or, uh, sure. you know. and, and for a lot of them, they're like, Oh no, I'm in a much better place now. Like, you know, this, but I understand the thinking. And so it kind of allows me to create a mm. character or to lean into that headspace. But, but it's, it certainly is a, a great way to just, um, a viable way, I think, to, to open up the, the conversation. It's very powerful, right? That when they, when a student feels empowered to use, their own experiences or even pieces of their own experience in a character they're developing or in, in something they're sharing through writing or through spoken word. Um, and I know we're talking a lot about writing, but I imagine you do some, some spoken word or some, you know, uh, conversation amongst um, learners. And I'm wondering, are there um, novels or book studies that you found in particular to open up a lot of these opportunities? Are there certain units of study you really enjoy or look forward to teaching every year that really you tend to get a lot of this social, emotional, or behavioral communication from your learners? So I I love the Odyssey. I've always, always, uh, I'm a bit, a bit of a classicist in like the Dungeons and Dragons playing nerd. Yeah. And like really loves the monsters and the magic yeah. and all that stuff. And um but it's it can be a little bit of a tough sell with with freshmen. Yeah. So so I found like pairing it with this idea, this really central idea that you know we are all on our own journeys, and and this conscientious act that we're going through of of always revising and editing our narrative as things happen to us and life goes through those bumps and trials and and challenges and figuring out how do I how do I take this thing and integrate it now into my story? How do I revise the narrative that I tell myself about who I am to fit this thing that's happened to me into that story? Um, or when they reach a point where they, they recognize the story that I've been telling myself isn't working anymore and I need to figure out a new story and they, they recognize just the, the inherent power in that, that, um, you can write a new story. You can tell a new story. It's uh, so interesting. I, I love that. That's a very powerful approach to it. Like my story is my story, right? The things that have occurred to me or I've experienced um, in my lifetime all remain static or true, but that the narrative around it can be rewritten or that, that I control what that narrative about those events is. Absolutely. It's all narrative. Our, our experience, our, you know, our truth, our reality is, is story. Uh, and mm. even broadening that out, like getting, starting to understand that the culture is story too. Um, what was, there's, there's a quote that um, power, power is defined as the ability to tell someone else's story. Okay. And 
Wow. I, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the recognition of the power of myth, the power of, of, of these stories and these narratives, whether it's the ones we tell ourselves or the ones that we are living out as, as part of our culture. And, and so I love, I love using something like the Odyssey, which I think for a lot of students is kind of boring and old and maybe doesn't have a lot. And, and heavy. I seem to remember carrying around a very heavy textbook. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, and it instead open up the doors to these conversations that, it, that I, I feel like are so much more relevant as they're going on these, these journeys. And I think even in our younger learners, right, we're talking about about high school level learners and, and at that, you know, senior college bound seniors. Right. But I think the the content there is still the same. Right. That that I have the ability to tell my story or to, to have perspective. Right. And so we teach that to so many of our learners. Well, let's take perspective on how this event impacted me and how it have impacted others. And how, you know, my truth may not be the same truth that somebody else perceives. And so I'm hearing that that's kind of a through line. Um, those are still those social emotional domains that we talk about kind of at all developmental appropriateness. And what I'm hearing you say is that by the time they've reached, um, you know, senior college bound senior status uh, in, in your school, that, that they're still just working on that perspective taking and really owning their perspective, their version of their experiences. Um, and I think that that's so powerful that we can teach that to kindergartners and preschoolers and we can teach that all the way up through you know college right that 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 into adulthood that still applies as a skill that we develop and hone oh i, I mean it shares dna with cognitive behavioral therapy what's mm-hmm. the, the thing that you insert between the reaction and the, the existing narrative that you already have it's hold on let's think about this for a moment is there another story is there another version of this that which might be true yeah I have recently um, been digging into a similar realm, which is called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is uh, kind of CBT adjacent and is very applicable to schools. Um, and it's similar, right? What is? How can I accept, yes, these things happened or I'm experiencing these feelings and this is what it feels like in my body and that it's okay to experience these things, but also I get to make a commitment to what I'm going to do with these feelings and these, these thoughts. Um, and, and that's, I think that... It's very interesting that you mentioned some of these things because I think sometimes in in schools are more content area teachers, right? If you're not a school counselor, you're not a special ed teacher, you're not a school psych, people sometimes feel a little bit afraid, I would um, label it. And, and I'm not trying to, to label other folks fear, but um, I think there's some trepidation. Uh, I teach English. <laughs> I teach math. I teach social studies or humanities or whatever. Um, I don't do you know, social emotional learning. I don't do cognitive behavior therapy. I don't do behavior. Um, And so to hear you kind of talk about those things in the way that you go, yes, and also here are the ways that I can support this through my content. So have you found that um, at your school or in other settings that you've worked with that you have peers who also are, are weaving these things in in similar ways? Or have you been able to help others feel more comfortable in weaving these things in through writing and reading and some of the ways that they're approaching learning with, with high schoolers? I, I think in general, my English colleagues, English teaching colleagues are, are kind of, or language arts, I guess, um, feel pretty comfortable navigating those waters. Um, we're, we're accustomed to, you know, tackling hard hitting subjects in the, the novels that we, we teach. And uh, I think in general, the, the humanities are, are a little, little, uh, 
more more approachable to some of those conversations. Um, but even even my my colleagues in math have been you know playing with statistics to approach things like yeah. bias and um, some of the the inherent um, structures in society and looking at like hey what's going on in this chart here and I love to hear that. So so I I don't think you know while. While I, I may, may feel a little bit more comfortable as a, a, a teacher in, in this this realm, um, you know, I think I, I do think most of us are, are aware of that need for a social emotional component in, in everything we do. Really, cool. I love I love that that has um, really developed pretty solidly over the past you know decade. I would say that folks are are really starting to see how they can embed some of that social emotional learning in any content that they are teaching, right? Um, and I think that that's really powerful for our learners to see that it doesn't it doesn't matter who the adult is that's in front of you. It doesn't matter if they're a counselor, if they're a teacher of, you know, what someone might consider an academic, you know, if you roll into your, your calculus teacher's classroom and, and they're able to serve that perspective of that social emotional support. I think that's really powerful to our learners for them to feel safe and, and supported across all environments because who's to say that the, you know, foreign language teacher isn't the person that that child feels the most connected to, or, you know, I don't know if we have home economics in our um, <laughs> schools as widely as maybe we did when I was a kid, but, you know, there, there are sometimes just teachers that, that have those skills to make connections and build relationships that may not historically have been viewed as people to support social, emotional learning and growth in our learners. But I love to hear that, that there's a wide variety of colleagues that are out there doing just that and, and embedding those social emotional domains. Um, I'm wondering a little bit about, you know, what happens when you have that learner that discloses a little bit more than maybe you, you bargained for with your prompt, right? So they disclose a little bit in their writing. They share something that maybe sends up some flags for you, or you just feel like is a little bit of a reach out for connection. In what way do you approach that with your learners? Um, I'm, I'm very upfront with, you know, my background in, in working in non, the nonprofit world and, you know, the therapeutic world. Um, you know, the first thing I want to do is kind of activate that, that support network and, and be really, really clear with them that this is so imp- like, so essential for, for resilience in anything that, that they're mm-hmm. dealing with that, um, you, we can't do this alone. You know, we, we yeah. survive in community. And so let me do, introduce you to our, our fan advocate. Let me, um, we're fortunate at my school that we, we have um, more than just our, our counselors who handle all the scheduling stuff. We, we do actually yeah. have some in-house mental health support as well. And um, phenomenal. We have, can you just back up for a second and explain what a fan advocate is? I don't know that all of our listeners know what oh, that awesome. role is. Um, yeah, family access network. We have, we have liaisons placed in all the schools in our district, um, who will help, you know, with access to how do you get, uh, food benefits? How, uh, how do you get access to, um, clothes? We have a, you know, a donation closet. We will help them, um, navigate any of the, the bureaucracies and support services that are, are, uh, necessary to get the kind of support that the kids need to 
move up that that hierarchy of needs, right? If those fundamental needs aren't being met, they're they're mm. going to do well in the classroom. Yeah, that that leads me to two thoughts. One of which is that seems to be a recurring theme with all of the guests I've had so far is that the guests that I'm speaking to really are are arming themselves with the connections and the resources. They're going out of their way to really make sure that they know who to connect a kid to, even if it's not themselves, to get access to those services, to get that extra layer of support or to tap into those extra arms of kind of uh, basic needs um, fulfillment. So I, I love to hear that narrative coming through on, on multiple guests um, because it really tells us that you really have to do a little bit of your own connecting in advance to kind of know who the people are within your district, within your school, within your community who can help to get access to those things, even if you are not the person. Well, I, I really, I, I really wish I had gotten more of that, that training in the first years of my, my teaching experience. It, it wasn't until I left the classroom and worked within the community and the nonprofit sphere that I was made aware of even like I, where where do you which county office do you go to to apply for SNAP benefits? Um, who who do I talk to if I have somebody who is homeless? Where you know which shelters will take families versus which ones are only for men versus all all of these these things that exist within our community and unfortunately I I feel like there's not enough of them. And that, that was one of the biggest takeaways from my time working for nonprofits. Um, but, our, and, and then that our, our schools are, are such an important resource in that department. And, and I, I think we really saw that when buildings closed down, that, that providing that warm, comfortable, safe space with access to food and access to support and access to caring adult mentors to, to serve as that relate those relational touchstones um we we had kids who really struggled and suffered as a result of that um yeah and we had a, a number of services that lost funding or closed right so even some of those pre-pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic some of those resources we thought were there were consistently available aren't as accessible anymore or have closed down or can't be staffed or those types of things so um I, I love to hear that you're saying kind of if you had known in your early years, I think we have some pre-service and early service teachers that, you know, hearing that and saying like, you're not just supposed to magically know these things. You need to go seek this out and ask the people that do know and learn from them. Um, I said to another podcast uh, guest that, you know, the reason I have so much of that knowledge is I just came alongside social workers that I was partnered with along the way and, um, really resourceful special ed teachers who just had this this depth of knowledge they had developed over the years. And it's almost like storytelling, right? It's like um, when we pass stories down generation to generation and you just have those cultural practices and you have the family practices and you know the depth of them because it's been passed down to you, there's, there's a similar kind of theme within education that is sometimes you get the most information just by listening and learning from those who have come before you. Even if your practices are super different, they might still have the the resources and connections. And if we don't get it from those those folks who have been doing it just barely longer than us or just barely differently than us, that, that we lose some of that storytelling, right? We lose some of those connections and resources. The generational knowledge, you no, know, for sure. And, and, and that's not unique to our field. I, I hearing about some um, 
other other industries that are, are struggling with that is you know workers leave and you know they take with them all of the the stuff that's mm. not manuals and handbooks right the mm-hmm. and I think it goes in the opposite direction as well which is like the younger um, newer folks that maybe have more frequent lived experience um, I'm sorry more recent lived experience like having accessed some of those services or having been connected to some of those nonprofits, or maybe they came to education as a second career and worked in nonprofit or worked in mental health and tapping into those, that, the, that storytelling, that, that shared knowledge that they bring to the table. I think particularly as more and more people come to education from other fields, it's really important to get creative with how we're reaching out. Um, so what do you say to other, you know, general education, public high school employees around the power of writing as a social emotional learning tool? Um, and then also just kind of any other tips to, to those who are listening as far as um, shared knowledge, right? Like what, what, in what ways can this be really powerful as a practice in a public setting? I, I think, I think my big takeaway is just the, the longer longer I've done this, the more I recognize the the power of story. Uh, I, I think even you know, in in some maybe prominent negative examples in culture, we've we've seen that story can sometimes be stickier than than truth than reality. Yeah. And um, so, being able to unpack that a little bit with with students and recognize like whether it's what's the story that you're being told from your household from your from the, the power structures that exist within our community or in our school and and how can we re- rewrite that um, or you know what is this what's the story that you're telling yourself and and it is entirely impossible I, I part of my, my experience with you know the therapeutic setting sort of worked in and around um, addiction treatment as well and it, it, it's amazing to me to watch how, how lives can be transformed through that, that simple act of like maybe going back to the acceptance and, and commitment therapy idea that there, there comes a, a reckoning, a recognition of this is a part of myself. And, uh, and yet I, I can also completely change my story and I can radically transform oftentimes overnight the direction, the trajectory that my, my life is on. And, you know, that's, that's the power of revising your narrative. Oof. I mean, I wish we could just like leave it right there. That would be such a great, such a great closing statement. Um, so if you're a listener, just go ahead and hit pause and then, and then rewind by about 15 seconds and just listen to that statement again. Um, maybe we'll just like edit it back into the end. Um, but, but I think going back to what you said about those learners that come into your classroom who are anxious, maybe are, are trying to meet expectations that are really, they feel stressful too high, you know, they feel unachievable. Um, it truly is just so powerful to, to give them writing as a, as a tool, this storytelling, this narrative creation around what does that mean to me? Even if somebody else holds these expectations, what do I hold for myself? What power do I hold um, to to rewrite this story? And, and whether that's physically writing it on paper or whether that's creating it in, in their day to day, I think that it's really unique the way that you've um, approached writing, not just as a concrete skill that gets them access to college or, get, you know, makes it so that they're, they're college 
submission uh, essay is, you know, well received, but actually is a tool for social emotional growth. And that will stick with them for the rest of their lives, right? If you learn to be a really powerful writer um, in this way um, and story creator in this way, that goes with you regardless of whether you go to college or or not. Um, how do you communicate that to your students? How do you How do you kind of help them understand that this isn't just a skill about putting pencil to paper and, and putting words out there, but this is truly just something they take with them into their adulthood. Mm. Mm. Um, sometimes it's, it's being really raw and vulnerable myself with, with the way that I've, I've seen those, those transformative aspects work. Um, it's yeah. Recognizing that Sure, this this is a necessary skill for all of those college application essays that my seniors are working so hard on, and you know, being able to tell your story to be able to say, "Who am I?" Um, is going to help you achieve these these goals, but uh, you know, in, in a more important, fundamental way, this is this is our journey, and and this is. Uh, the direction that, that we, uh, the course that we, we chart for ourselves. And... I love that, um, that, that willingness, that vulnerability to share and connect with your learners in that way and just kind of um, give them context for, for that, how this has played out in your life. Um, I appreciate your time so much. I, I think this conversation, I hope this conversation was so helpful to so many of our learners. I know it was helpful to me. It's always nice to reground myself outside of the kind of therapeutic schools setting and, and ground myself um, back in those years when I was in, in public high school working with kids. And so um, I appreciate your taking me on this journey to, to relive those days and remind myself of the different avenues through which social emotional learning can really be present for our kids and, and for adults too. Because I think sometimes when we teach it, we, we bring it back into our practice, right? So thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we sign off for the day? No, thank you so much for this invitation, Alexis. It's been a pleasure chatting with you as always. As always, I look forward to crossing paths with you again in the future. And to the listeners, please don't forget to relax, refresh, take care of yourselves so that you can take care of the learners you have in front of you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.